Well, let's go to the book of Mark. And I'm asking God to reveal to us what we need and how we can make it relevant to our life. And that's the key to anything in any conversation is being relevant. You know, if you're not relevant, I always tell people when you want to speak to an audience, know your audience. I mean, you know your audience, you can speak to their heart and their issues. And I think the Bible knows our, our issues very well. And so he used a lot of parables and metaphors and analogies and uh, just to speak to the human uh, interest on every level. And interesting that the Bible can speak to every type of person with the same message. Because it's not just what I'm saying, it's what the Holy Spirit is revealing. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is speaking. You know, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. He may have placed me in an office of a pastor, quasi-teacher, but it's the Holy Spirit who does the teaching. And the revelation comes from the enlightenment of God. It's his word. He breathed on it and gave it life. And as we speak it, I speak it by faith that it might ignite your spirit and charge you to serve God more and more and more. That's what we do, you know. And so it's so important for us to know that it is God who is in charge. It's God who's doing the leading. And so last week we're in chapter four and we talked about the parable of the sower sowing seed in the particular soils that the Bible clearly lays out for us. And we talked about the wayside, you know, the seed falling on the wayside where the seed was not able to get any root or anything. It's just there on the wayside. So the birds, which are symbolic of Satan, came and ate those seeds up because they weren't committed anywhere. They were just out there. And it kind of, you know, it talks about people that way. You know, when you, you have a, a life that's not committed somewhere, you're able to get misled quickly. You're able to get devoured. You know, the scriptures in John tells us in John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I find that the more we stay aloof, you can also, if you stay aloof long enough, can become apostate. I mean, you get out there and you get you fall into all kinds of teachings and heresies and other things. And it's always the non-committed group of people who have extra biblical stuff that they want to bring to the church and they want to discuss extra biblical stuff when we're not talking about the stuff we have in front of us. You know, and so you want to be careful about being on the wayside. And then you have those who the seed fell on that shallow soil. It was no depth for the root of the seed to take root. And it was rocky. It was uh, shallow. And they, the Bible says, received it with gladness. I mean, it was wonderful. We heard it, but there was not enough root or depth in them to be committed for the long haul because when the sun came up, it scorched it and just burned it away like new grass. So you got people like that in the church too. The church is made up of these kinds of compartments. And then you have the group of people or the seed that falls among thorns, you know, where you have all these things in life that you're dealing with, cares and riches and all these plans that you have. The Bible says that that person can't be effective because the thorns on the bushes choke out the word and causes the word not to be productive in your life. And if you've ever been around people like that or been that person yourself, you're just always concerned about your rent, always concerned about your materialistic stuff or, you know, like Jesus said, what are you going to eat? And, you know, what are you going to drink? What are you going to put on? You're concerned about these things to the point of distraction. I'm not saying we can't take an account 
what we have need of, because if you don't know what you need, you can't go to God and ask him for anything. So it's okay to have a request, but if you spend your time making a list of your needs and you get focused on your stuff, he says the thorns in that arena will choke out the word and make the word in your life non-productive, which makes you non-productive, unfruitful. And then you have the last soil, which he speaks of that word sown on the conditioned ground or the soil that was ready to be received, which is a analogy for a heart that is open to God and ready to receive. And it says when a seed is sown in that type of environment, that the seed is able to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. All levels of productivity and fruit because that seed was sown on good conditions on good soil. And many times in a church, when we're praying and we're worshiping, sometimes God is tilling the hearts of the people. He's getting them prepared. But I'm also ready, as I've been in the ministry for quite some time, I know that there are some people who will not allow you to condition them. And it's okay for them to be here. And we're gonna find in the next parable is what some of the stuff is going on. In other words, the doors are open to everybody in the ministry. And I've had people who did not have any experience with the ministry tell me that, Pastor, you shouldn't let this person come here because they mean the church no good. And they would actually tell me, you want me to escort them out? Well, you sound like the disciples when they asked Jesus, you want me to bring fire down on them? You got to be very careful. See, God lets the wheat and tear grow together. And then there's a time that as the wheat and tarot grow together, when harvest time comes, the angels know what belongs to God and what doesn't. Just like a farmer knows the difference between wheat and tarot. And tarot is considered weed or in a biblical sense, bad people, evil people. And what makes the gospel so powerful and what makes faith so clear and sure is that we allow doubters and evil people to be in our midst. We allow it. And I know that's hard and strange for people to understand. If it were not so, why did Jesus choose Judas? Jesus knew who Judas was. Why didn't he say, I'm going to get 12 disciples that have like mind, like faith, and they're going to follow me. I'm not going to have any issues at them. But the Bible says he chose the disciples and one of them was a the devil. And so you're always going to have that darkness. It's like this polarizing thing of negative and positive and light and darkness and doubt and faith and all these things. You would not know faith if you didn't know doubt. You'd never know light if you've never seen darkness. You see, so God's going to let particular things stay and he's going to trust us with the word to work through them. One of the things, this might be strange to you, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to get right in the scripture. Just give me a chance to say it before you start judging. I don't believe at this time that it would be good for me to send my children to Christian schools. Hold on. Not anything against Christian schools. But if I'm trying to create an environment for my kids to go to a Christian school, that means I'm putting the weight of them teaching my child about the Bible and not taking responsibility myself. And all Christian schools are not created equal. There's so many different beliefs and denominations of this and that. Your kid could come out more confused. And then when they get out into the real world, 
they have confusion that came from all these ideas about God from different people. They get in the world. That's a whole nother spectrum of things. What I like is that people say, I'm so upset that prayer is out of the school. We need to fight and we need to go out and protest and we need to get prayer back in school. I don't agree with that. Why? Because I don't know who's praying with my kid. See, if you teach your kid at home what the Bible says and you pray with your kids at home, by the time they get out in the real world, they're going to know the right from the wrong. They're going to know what's real and what's false. And a lot of people pose themselves to be Christian and they're not. And so the responsibility of training up a child in the way he should go is on the family and not the government. And it's not the school system. Now, it's wonderful if we got some God-fearing people in the school system. Don't get me wrong. But that is not their responsibility to train up my child. My child should be ready to go when they get to school. I, my child doesn't need to wait to get to school to pray. My child should have already been prayed up from home. And the example you set for your children. See, I'm, I'm asking God to put prayer back in the home, yes. not in the schools. That's one of the mom and dad's lap. That's where prayer is lacking. See, if we get prayer back in the home, who cares what they're doing out there? Because we're in the world, but not of the world. See, I know it may sound like in the beginning, well, where's this pastor coming from? I knew I sh something about him. No, my point is that the church keeps on giving up its responsibility to parents that are not of God. The government will never love you the way God can love you. And the government's not going to treat my child the way I treat my child. Is it, don't you think it's strange that the police say they take away the commandment out of what the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child, don't hit your kids, abuse, all this stuff. And I agree, there's been some abuse and people gone too far. But it's interesting, they tell you not to beat your kid, but when they get somebody, they beat them. So I want to say to them, no, don't spank my child. Do what you told me to do. Pray for them. Love them. Rub them on the head. Don't you hurt my child. If I can't spank them when they're little, you surely can't spank them when they get older. Because if you would have let me spank them when they're little, you would not have to beat them when they get older. So use the same thing that you tell me not to spank a child. Don't you spank them. But they use brute force because they know the flesh. And God knew the flesh. That's why he said, we need to spank our children. I'm not saying go home and beat your kids. But what I am saying, they need to know that there's a discipline in the house. And I tell my kids all the time before we go places in the store, I said, you guys know it's zero tolerance for running in the store, right? Yes, dad. I said, what did I say? Zero tolerance for running in the store. And as soon as you get in the store, what do they do? Run in the store. <laughs> they didn't know what it meant. So what I did was I grabbed them by the wrist, a little firm, and they walk with me around the store. And they don't like being, you know, held like that. And after a while, because I don't give up and I keep doing it to the whole time and they want to be let go of. I said, you're not exercising your freedoms properly, so I've got to manage your freedom. Got my hand just holding on to them. After a while, boy, it, it, I, I know it gets a little rough on them. But and then I say, now, do you remember why you're like this right now? You know why you're in my grip, right? Yes. I said, do you like this? No. I said, then why don't you listen? I don't know. I hate that. Message. 
And I said all that to say this because that's what we do to God. How many times did he has to forgive us on some of the same stuff that we keep doing and doing and doing? I had a friend of mine that said, well, you know, one good thing about God, I can do whatever I want and get to heaven and ask God to forgive me. He'll let me in. I said, where do you see that in the Bible? I said, where did you see that in the Bible? I mean, you're telling me you can live any way you want to live, get to the gate and say, God, forgive me for everything I've done. Can I come in? I said, it doesn't work like that. See, because God deals with the heart. How are you going to get your heart rate at the gates when you couldn't get your heart right all your life? If it were possible for you to get your heart right at the gate, if you can get it right at the gate, I would probably say, well, God will forgive you. But I have never seen anybody who lived like a devil all their life. And one day they just changed. It's a process. It's a renewing of the mind. It's a condition of the heart. It's a relationship. It's not about good or bad. It's the heart. It's the grace of God in your life. If you've been rejecting the grace of God all your life, you're going to stand in front of heaven with that same rejection in your heart. So I had to warn him. I said, man, you can't do that, man. You got to start now living a life of faith. You got to be obedient to God. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We don't go to hell because we're bad. We go to either place depending on what you do with Jesus. Because you can't be good enough to get to heaven. And you can't be bad enough to go to hell. Because if you get to heaven, there's always somebody better. You go to hell, there's always somebody worse. <laughs> Either way. So it's not about those things. It's about the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm a whosoever. Some of you are whatsoever. Amen. Amen. God loves you. He loves you. So we got to know you can't play with God. You know, the scriptures tell us God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this is what he'll reap. So you can't you can't fool God. You can fool me all the time. I'm just gullible. You can come in here and play Christian all you want. And I'm just going to love you because God's got these lenses on me that, that are called love. And I'm just going to keep looking at you because I love you. But. I might approve of you, but you might get before God and you've hoodwinked me, but you're not going to hoodwink God. But my job is to love people anyway. Amen. And that's what your job is to love people. So when you're dealing with that condition, man, those four conditions of a man's heart, uh, that's some uh, really important stuff to note. Now, let's take a look at Mark chapter four and go down to verse 26. And this is the parable of the seed, which is similar in its context about what it's talking about, like the word, the parable of the word, he sows the word. Well, we're sowing the seed. The seed is always kind of a representation of God's word. And so it says in verse 26, let's read it. It says, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. Now he says the kingdom of God is like that. He didn't say it was that. He's using a comparison. It's like that. So he's going to teach something by comparison so that we get it. So the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil in verse 27 and goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts up and grows how he himself does not know. And you ever planted something in your life as a child? When you have these little science classes, you put a little seed in the cup and you plant it in the little dirt and you put a little water in it and you set it in the windowsill. And then each day you go by and you look at it first two or three days, just dirt. <laughs> just looking at it. It's like scientific, you know, it's just dirt. 
a few more days go by, it's still dirt. Then all of a sudden, you see just a little knob thing come up out of the ground. It's like a little knob. It's kind of bent like this. And each day, it comes up a little bit more. Each day, it starts to open. Each day, it gets become straight and erect, and it grows towards the sunlight. And then it starts to grow. Now, you got this whole thing just coming up like this, right? Now, when we planted, our job was to plant it. And then we have to let nature, and there's a such thing as nature in God. It's not mother nature, but it's nature. Amen? God has placed seasons for things to grow, seed time, harvest time. He's placed this principle in the earth. So things grow and germinate the way God designed for it too. So when you plant the seed, you have nothing to do with the growth of the seed. And so when I plant the word, I have nothing to do with God growing in you. God has all to do with that. The natural process of me planting it by sowing it, speaking it, preaching it, showing it to you is what my job is. But God gives it increase. One sows, one waters. But God does what? Gives the increase. So we can't. In other words, I cannot make you by no matter what I say to you. I cannot by my own mere words cause any growth in you. But if I plant the seed and continue to pray and continue to let nature, spiritual, natural things happen the seed of the word of God will start to germinate on the inside of you and the kingdom of God will be increased person by person by person. That's what, it, that's what we're doing. So you are now seed sowers. That's what your job is, to sow seeds in your family. I'm to sow seeds in my children. I am not to worry about the outcome. As long as I'm sowing the seed, I go to sleep, I get on with my day-to-day -day stuff and God begins to give the increase. He causes that seed to grow inside of them. But I must plant it. You must plant it. So in 27 again, he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts up and grows how he himself does not know. Now look at verse 28. And the soil produces crops by itself. Say by itself. One more time, by itself. No help of the person who sowed it. The farmer can't come back after he sowed it and make it produce. It says it produces by itself. In other words, once the seed is sown, God doesn't need your help. Doesn't need my help. Doesn't need your help. You don't need to run to the pastor every time you need something. You don't need to run to a person. You need to go to God in prayer. Amen. Yes, you get into a good Bible believing church and just by being in fellowship, things are going to be encouraging. But God is the one who works all in all on the inside of you. Once it's been planted, God does not need your help to make it work. Just like the farmer couldn't come in, dig up the seed again to see what's going on to help it along. It grows in the time it's supposed to grow. And that's why older Christians got to be careful with new Christians. Because most of the times you don't tell the new Christian the truth. You don't tell them all the woes and problems that you had. You just tell them they act like you've been born again all the time. And so a new Christian comes in and they get their minds mixed up. They get thwarted in their mind about things. I don't know if I could ever be like sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. And I think that's the best plan ever. You shouldn't be like them. Right. should be what God is calling you to be. And so you need to tell people the truth. If you're going to minister to people, tell them the truth. If they want to know, I mean, does it take a long time to really take root, take a long time to grow in the things of God? You need to tell them it takes a lot of time. But we can't tell you how much of time because it depends also on your hunger, your obedience, right? Your ability to uh, stay connected, all of that. And if you do that, you'll grow a lot faster than most. 
But it's hard for people to get that because they want to do everything else and put God last. And we can't do that and expect growth. You just can't. You got to spend the time with God. That's why they give us 12 years of school before we go to college. All of that is to prepare you for college. You went to kindergarten all the way up to the 12th grade to make you ready to go to college. And, and whether you know it or not, it's the biggest business ever. Biggest business out there. School is a huge business. It's the only place where you can sell something, get paid a lot for, and not be held accountable. I mean, I can go to school and spend $100,000 to $200,000. When I graduate, the school is not responsible for me getting a job. But yet, I'm responsible to pay $200,000 of debt. It's important. Am I against school? No. What am I against is people being uninformed when they go to school. Most of the big people you work for now never went to college. They had an idea. They were creative. They were able to influence people. And they're sitting at the top of a heap of everything and a higher education underneath them. So be careful of the promise of those things. We cannot help God when he does this planting process. So in verse 28, the soul produces crops by itself. First, the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Now look at this in verse 29. But when the crop permits, so when it's time, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So we know God switches then from agriculture to the hearts of people. When it's time at the end, as God is growing on the inside of you, first the blade, then the stalk, and then the ear, then the full ear and the head. When it's time, the seasons have matured for God to come in and do a harvest. You had nothing to do with that growth. God had all to do with it. Now, you ask the question why some people don't grow in the church, because some people are not really born again. I will tell you, after being in ministry for about 40 years, very few people in the church are saved. Very few. You can go to an on-fire church and still not be saved. Coming to a church on Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. Coming on a Wednesday night is not enough. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. I say you have to have daily bread. We wouldn't dare miss meals two, three days at a time. So we eat this Sunday and we don't need to eat again till Wednesday. No, if your natural body acquires energy, and nutrients, sustenance to keep it performing, how about your spiritual body? And if I feed my natural body daily, I need to feed my spiritual person daily. And if you're honest with yourself today as I'm talking, and this is not to put anybody in any kind of bad way, if you're not committed to reading the Word of God every single day, you might think that that's a lot, but it's not a lot. In fact, it's not enough. You must have a relationship with God every single day. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. What Jesus is talking about is a reciprocal relationship, continuous, on demand every single day. There was not one day that Jesus did not communicate with his father. 
They'll say, but that's just too much religion. You're right. It's a whole lot of religion, but that ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about relationship. If you're doing it religiously, it is too much. But when it's a relationship, I mean, I can't go five minutes without talking to my wife. Let alone a day or two. Because when you're in relationship, you want to. I try to send her off with the girls and she's texting me. You okay, honey? Yeah. If I go somewhere, I call back. You okay, honey? Yeah, but I miss you. You see, when you're in relationship, it's not hard. You want to, right? So for somebody to tell you that's just too much to have to be in church and talk to God, the reason it's too much because you're just sitting up in a religious institution talking to religious people. You mess around and got involved with some Pharisees, some Sadducees, and some would not sees. And they make it hard on you. They give you all these hoops to jump through. But when it's relationship, when I go to be with my wife, I'm so happy to do something to make her happy. When she lets me do something for her, I just want to do it. It's not like, well, let me go on and do it because, you know, the Bible says a man should love his wife. I'm not using the scripture to justify my behavior with her. If you love somebody, Jesus said it like this. If you love me, you'll keep my word. You'll obey my commandments. So it's not a burdensome thing to have to go and serve my wife or my kids. It's not like, oh, man, what you need now, honey? She's not in the kitchen. Oh, what can I fix this man to eat? Oh, Lord, just give me some ideas. Out of love, you are creative. You want to do things. Sometimes when you do things the way God says to do it, you make other people mad and sick. You get them stirred up because they get mad and sick because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And I hear people all the time, well, you know, just give it a week or two, give it a year or two, get a, you know, some mileage on you. You're going to change. <laughs> we have nothing to do with the growth of our relationship because God, once we sow the seed, he is responsible for the increase. And we are dependent upon that increase. I ask her sometimes, are you tired of me? She said, no. And she said it like that, too. You get a, no, I love my husband. And when I said, go here, girl. <laughs> if you love God, it won't be burdensome. Because it wasn't burdensome for him. Let me say it in our language to get it. To kill his son for you. I'm not going to say it nice. He killed Jesus for you. He offered him as a sacrifice for you, for me. He put him on the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus cried out. Listen to this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that means that when God put him on the cross, he really separated himself from him. Because Jesus would not have cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? And it had to happen. Because God loved you so much. Now get that. It happened because God loved you so much. And we make a burden out of serving God. I can't do enough for God. I'm sorry that I haven't done enough. When I sit and think about it, it'll mess me up to the point where I won't get nothing done. So I have to just have him to forgive me so we can get past all the dumb stuff. 
because I haven't done enough for him. I wish I could get back all the days I wasted and put it together so I can do something for him. But God's not like that. He said, forget your past. I want you now, front and present right now. All we have now for the rest of your days right now in the present, sow the seed and let me bring an increase. We got to be committed to him. We have got to be committed. I, as a pastor, cannot make you all get committed to this church. I stopped trying a long time ago. I started church in 1992. I stopped asking people to be committed. God said, you just do what you're supposed to do. It's like everybody knows what the church needs. They all know. Everybody knows. They know what needs are. So when people choose to not help or do something, why am I going to get an uproar about that? Just do what I'm supposed to do. I tell my kids that all the time. Don't worry about your brother. What did I tell you to do? But he, he, no, you, he, he, you. Take responsibility. Doesn't matter what he's doing. You keep skating through life, it's going to show up that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Don't skate through life. The seeds are being sown right now into your hearts. Let God bring increase. Listen. Harvest comes, man, he judges and separates that which is his to that which is not his. And then he goes right down into the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 30, and he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? Jesus is being creative. He's looking at ways he can relate to people. And verse 31, it is like a mustard seed. Now, many of you have done teachings on the mustard seed. We know it's a small seed by comparison, a very small seed. So Jesus uses this analogy that when he sows the word into the heart of a human, it's a very small thing. It's very small and insignificant. When I first got born again, I mean, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't even know anything that really happened. But something had happened spiritually that I couldn't detect naturally. In fact, let me share that with you in scripture. Y'all ready for some more scripture? Okay, I had this mapped out for you already. Look at this. Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Let me show you something here that'll make sense. First Peter. Chapter one. Starting with verse 23. That mustard seed is a very small seed. The kingdom of God in the beginning was a very small thing and it began to grow. Now, look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. You see that? So when we see the, the term born again, a lot of people think that it was a term uh, that came about during the crazy rebellious times of the 60s and all of that. You know, people getting on drugs and all these things. Well, I've been born again. No, the born again phrase. I didn't hear the term born again until I left tradition. And I'm not talking about anything. I'm not saying the church didn't teach the word, but what I was told as a kid growing up in a particular church that I was saved. He said, you want to get saved today? And I'm thinking, saved from what? Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, like, when I'm get, do I need saving? What, what are you talking about? Because I hadn't been taught what the word says about life in Jesus. It's just been taught, like, when you join the church, you join the church. You find out later you're joining Jesus. They want people to join the church. So when you join the church, you become a member of that particular church, but not a member of the family of God. That's not what they're teaching you, but that's what actually is happening. So it wasn't until later on when I left the tradition that I realized that 
salvation had to do with being born again, which had to do with being a change of nature. And I didn't even know I had a nature that needed to be changed because I didn't know anything about a nature. So I started getting the word and found out in Romans 7 that I had a sin nature. And there was a fight between the sin nature and the new man. And so I didn't know any of this stuff. Sitting up in the church all my life. But nobody taught me these things. So I'm walking around telling people I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. But I didn't know what I was saved from. But later on, I found out that I was born again. By the word of God. Now listen. You have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass and grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord abides forever. Now listen, and this is the word which was preached to you. So now I say I am born again that my old nature has been removed and there's a new nature on the inside of me, which is a nature of God. And I had no hunger for God when I was in my old man, like it is now in my new man. So when you start talking about the kingdom of God and sowing seed, what God is doing, he's sowing the seed of life on the inside of you. And that seed is going to swallow up death on the inside of you. Though you may die one day, you will live again because of the incorruptible word of God that will not perish, but is imperishable. So when I teach people now about coming to know God, I'm not teaching them about coming to my church or my denomination. I'm teaching them about the word of God. You need to be born again according to scripture. It's not about even being baptized. A lot of people put their faith in baptism. Well, if I get baptized and I'll be saved, particular uh, genres of churches teach that. But you go in a dry devil and come out a wet one. Ain't no difference. You know, the water doesn't save you. It identifies the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I don't sprinkle. I like to take people under. If you want to get baptized, we're not sprinkling you. I'm going to take you under, submerge, and emerge you. And I'm going to hold you there until you look like you're going to die. And I'm going to let you up, and you're going to be thankful for the breath you get when you come out of there, and you're going to know what salvation is. You're going to jump out there. I was really saved. Well, I tell people that all the time because people, they push that doctrine. you got to be baptized. The Bible says you got to be baptized. Well, what happened to the thief on the cross with Jesus? Amen. Love of God started in the penal system. The first man to come to know paradise would be somebody who deserved to go to hell. But because he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks over at him, dying for this man. This day, you will be with me in paradise. First person that came to know God was on the cross for something he did do. When Jesus was on the cross for something he didn't do. So we find that he was on the cross for you and I. And this guy accepted Jesus in his way, in his life, on his execution day. Amen. So why should we not go to prisons? Why should we not go to hit people with the gospel who don't deserve it? Because none of us do. 
So God showed all of us there's nothing that you can do so big, so long, so far, so wide, so bad that I can't reach in and save you. So you might be thinking, you know, I just haven't come to God, haven't committed because I've done so many bad things. Do you think you could just be good enough to come to God? Because if you could, why is it taking you so long? There's nothing you can do. See, the grace of God is not being taught in churches today. We're saved by grace. It's not a work that, that I've done. It's the grace of God. And therefore, you might not like this. Everybody's included. Now, I'm going to say it again because you didn't get that. Everybody is included in that grace. Quit pulling out particular sins of people and trying to make them jump through a hoop that you didn't have to jump through. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen if people are allowed to get married and they're gay. I have people say that to me all the time. I said, what do you mean what's going to happen? I mean, what if they come and they're married and they sit in your church and they're gay? And you're sitting in the church and you're an adulterer. I understand the particulars. I understand what's going on. But who in here is without sin? There's a lot of stuff we're uncomfortable with. If I were to tell you that the person you're sitting next to killed 20 people, you surely don't want them to have a relapse. (laughs) You're praying really hard now that it really took, that they really got saved and that Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. But what if I told you that person was you? Because you've killed more than 20 people with your mouth. Words kill people. You hurt people so bad with the things you say to them. Death in life is in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat its fruit. Proverbs 18, 21. So it's more than just murdering somebody's physical body. You kill a child's spirit every day. You abuse them. You kill your wife's heart every day you mistreat her. You kill your husband when you don't respect him. You are killing people every single day. You are a murderer until Jesus comes and causes us to be born again. We are adulterers and murderers. That's what the Bible says. But everybody wants to pull out the gay thing and they want to make the gay thing the the unpardonable sin. It's unforgivable. I can't believe you're doing that and trying to bring... Where else should they come to church? Where else can they go to hear the word of God? I ask God, let every fish that swims in the sea get caught in the nets of love that you have. Every one of them. Every one of them. Every one of them. One thing is going to be said about us when we finally get to heaven is that we were no respect of persons. Let God sow the seed and let God bring the increase. How many of you know that God has delivered people from all kinds of sin? So there isn't any sin that God can't deal with, right? So therefore, we got to quit judging people. And I know it's just unnatural for you to see things. But if Christians, if we as people would reveal who we really are and what we were thinking before we came to church, you wouldn't want to come here either. There's been a lot of bad stuff going on inside of us. But we hide it really good. Got to be born again, folks. And it's by the grace of God. It's the seed of the imperishable word of God that goes on the inside. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. When we preach the gospel, 
we hear the word. Faith comes and we receive it. And when a person receives it, they don't get it because they go to church. They get it wherever they received it. There are many cases when Jesus was preaching on the side of a hill and the Bible says, and they believed the word that was preached. It was at that moment that they believed is when they received it. They were not in a synagogue somewhere. They were not in anybody's church. We could be sitting at a baseball game and you can hear the word and you can receive it at a baseball game right after a home run has been hit. Everybody's shouting for that and you shouting for Jesus. And I love the fact that we can get it where we live. That I don't have to tell anybody, come to church Sunday so you can hear the word and possibly get saved. If I got your ear, you're going to be saved probably in a few moments if it's time is right for you. I'm not going to wait to this church because you might not make it to Sunday. So the kingdom of God is like that. When you sow the seed, God gives the increase and things begin to grow. Let me finish up over here and mark in this little piece here. I'm going to let you guys go home. All right, here we are. And so in verse 31 of Mark chapter 4, it's like a mustard seed which was sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil. Look at verse 32. Yet when it is sown, listen to this now, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And again, this parable is kind of about the kingdom of God when it was first sown into the earth and how the word was sown into the earth in a small way, a seed. And the branches that grew from that seed are all the branches of our faith. And the tree grew so big. Now, whenever you see birds of the air, it's always symbolic of satanic stuff. So what God did was he built a big enough tree that would shade everybody, saved and unsaved. Everybody could come into this tree. Everybody can come into faith. Everybody can come into fellowship. Whether they will or not is between them and God. But the tree, the seed grew in such a way it provided shelter for everyone. God left nothing out for anybody. So when the birds came in disguised as Christians, sometimes the birds are here in the church. They're right here to try to steal the word from you. But they have a place in the assembly. You just got to be listening to God. There are people that will tell you after you hear a preaching like this, they'll call back and say, well, you know, it was okay, but let me tell you about Brother Buchanan. Let me tell you about him. One of the things I didn't agree with, and so now you got a bird talking in here. Rather than praying for me and praying about the word, it's my intent to bring you God's word so that you have understanding. I'm not looking for a bunch of Christians to talk to. What I'm looking for is the world. And if we can build a tree from a small seed big enough to let its branches out that the old evil birds can come in, I'm looking for transformed birds. I'm looking for the word of God to be preached in such a way and the people to be loved in such a way and cared for in such a way that even the birds of the air, those things that come to snatch the word of God, the symbolic of Satan, will change teams. You were one of those guys before. You were one of those people that didn't believe. And you didn't believe a lot of times because of the misrepresentation of the church. It really wasn't God that you were mad about. You were mad because of the way the church was displaying itself. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Men make mistakes. Dear God knows I've made many of them. I made enough to give you some to weigh you down. But see, when you do something, you're going to make mistakes. When you do nothing, you make one mistake. 
you do nothing. Everybody, when you get in the game, you step out, you're going to make some mistakes. Mistakes are welcome. Rebellion is not. That's the thing. God built that little tree, that little seed into a big tree. You guys have friends that are unsaved. You need to bring them under the shelter of the Almighty. Bring them under the branches of that little mustard seed that grew so strong, so broad, so wide, so many different branches that when everybody comes in and takes their nest, that they can eat from that tree, that their needs can be met from that tree and let God worry about who's saved and who's not saved. Amen? Amen? Amen. Stay with me till next week. We have more truth. Amen.